Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everyone, and hello, and thank you for joining us wherever you are and on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Always appreciate the social media interactions and the positive feedback you guys have left on our show. Thank you so much for your continued support. Today, we're going to discuss switching offensive philosophies. All good coaches do a bit of self-reflection on their practices and make adjustments as needed. Sometimes we really like our offense, but sometimes we find we need to make changes. I know I've been there. And making that change can be a bit of a scary proposition, so we're going to dedicate a whole episode to it today. Uh, hopefully this episode will ease your mind if you're thinking about making the switch and give you a little more confidence if you're thinking about pulling the trigger on that change. So my guest is one who is making that offensive transition, and we'll speak about his experience switching up his offensive philosophy a little bit thus far. So this will be a really exciting one. I'm really happy to be joined by Coach Trevor Mason. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for spending some time on this, especially because of a topic like this. I know there's there's bumps in the roads and some ups and downs all the way around. So appreciate you uh, sharing, sharing your knowledge of uh, how things have been going for you. So Coach, let's go ahead and get started with a little bit of an introduction to you. Where is your basketball and coaching journey taking you? Oh man, uh, where to begin? <laughs> uh, well, I grew up in I grew up in Bloomfield, Kentucky. It's a small rural town just south of Louisville, Kentucky, about forty minutes. Um, played high school. Uh, was actually the last man off my varsity bench in high school. <laughs> uh, didn't get a lot of time, but uh, I tell you what, man, I could I could certainly handle the rock. And uh, that just translated into uh, trying to become the next and one mixtape superstar. <laughs> uh, Phenom, uh, love watching them and one mixtapes. I tell people all the time that I was uh, the dribble drive offense before what it is now. And uh, my coach would call me the dribbling guru. Um, <laughs> but uh, I tore my ACL my senior year going into districts and uh, just had this hunger to want to wanna play at the next level and uh, rehabbed. And, and where kids probably peaked in high school, um, I peaked a couple more years after I graduated. And so I was able to walk on at a small Christian college in Missouri, Ozark Christian College. Uh, played there for a couple years. And then um, uh, to make an even longer story short, um, I transferred and went to Boyce College, uh, a Bible college in Louisville, and uh, finished out my career there. Um, wasn't really thinking about getting into coaching. Um, I was actually offered to coach a track track team by my uh, mentor coach at my alma mater high school and um, while coaching there I was asked if I would coach a middle school girls team and that's where the journey really took off from my coaching career um, just loved it loved every minute of it uh, I was able to, to coach my niece uh, who was a superstar in eighth grade uh, she was a one-man show she could just get the ball and go from A to B lay it up and it made coaching a whole lot easier for us um, <laughs> Uh, and then uh, it just kind of morphed from there. I uh, went, went back to my alma mater and coached on the freshman team on the boys' side. Uh, was shortly offered a, a head girls' job uh, at a high school in Louisville. 
um, at the time, uh, you know, I thought that I knew everything there was to know about basketball. And so I got into yep. that head coaching seat and was like, what the heck am I doing? Uh, so I took, uh, I took a, a step back where I think most coaches would try to, uh, just learn and grow forward. Um, but I knew that I was weighing over my head and I took a step back and, and, um, was an assistant at several other schools before making my, my way back home. Uh, and actually this past year, um, I was actually done with basketball. I was done with coaching. I'm now entering my eighth year coaching and, uh, was going to help out a girls team at another school. Um, and then I got a phone call from um, the AD and uh, someone who's also uh, a, um, a booster uh, for our school. And uh, it was just so funny how the chips fell because I had just bought a house down the street from my alma mater. Uh, wasn't looking to, to really, you know, go back to my alma mater and coach or anything like that. And they gave me the phone call and said, hey, our coach just took another job. Would you be interested? And uh, uh, I started shaking. I got so nervous and I was pacing <laughs> around the house and, and uh, I just looked at my wife and she looked at me and she was like, you already know you're going to take that job. I said, are you, are you, are you, are you okay with it? And she was like, yeah, you, you need to do it. So uh, here, we, here we are, uh, year eight, um, coaching boys basketball at uh, my alma mater. Did you uh, do you roll out your your highlight reel at all for your players? Do you do you take them take <laughs> well, them back to to when coach was out there playing, busting out your jersey and everything for him? Well, listen, every every Sunday up to the season, they got to see a little bit of those highlights, and we play some pickup. So oh, they, they get go. a little taste in practice every once in a while. Oh, there you go. That's that's great. Uh, I actually want to I actually want to ask you about why that. Um, journey for you to take a step back and go and be an assistant for for a few years rather than try and you know work your way through the weeds of being a head coach why was that so important and beneficial for you to be able to do that uh I I, I can't I don't really know I think uh I'm just uh, the type of person that um I just know when I'm weighing over my head and I know that I have to 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 go back and kind of digest some things and and I think you know when you're when you're when you're young and you're um, uh, you know coming straight out of college, you know everything, and so nobody can tell you nothing. And so it took a it took a bit of a, a slap in the face that season, <laughs> um, you know, on the wins and loss records, and to sit there and say, okay, you don't know as much as you think you know, and um, really just uh, you know, and there were other things that that went into that as well. Um, I was still in graduate school at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I was uh, actually also going to get married. So I think just taking right. a step back yep. from everything outside of coaching, piling up, uh, it was just wise of me to do so. And uh, my wife supported me through it. And um, it's actually paid dividends doing that. So uh, I think everybody's, everybody's uh, forte is different. Uh, that's just type, the type of journey that I decided to take. And I think that, you know, taking that head coaching position, I think one of the things that that's a big shocker, especially especially for young coaches, is how much stuff you do that isn't basketball, how many other responsibilities and things that you're kind of responsible for. And so it can become really overwhelming really quickly. And, you know, let alone of all the other things you had going on in your life and taking place, uh, I'm, I'm sure that for you kind of going into that assistant role, just kind of took a little bit of pressure off and was able to oh, kind yeah. of put your uh, energy on some other things, kind of like a wedding and uh, grad school, things that were uh, equally, <laughs> if not more important. I know we all love basketball, but there are some things that uh, kind of do take precedence. Sometimes we need to put our energy towards. Right. Right. And I, I would just, I would always recommend anybody getting into coaching. Um, 
make sure that that if you if you are you know in a relationship that that your 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 significant other or spouse or whomever is on board with it uh because it's a lot of time away it's a lot of time away from your family it's a lot of time away from your uh your kids and so uh that's my number one thing that i tell my assistants um that i hired on this year is like hey if you ain't got a girlfriend or don't don't buy don't buy a house don't buy a car and make sure that your your significant other is okay with it <laughs> and as a cheap plug for anybody new who's listening i actually did a whole episode go back in the archives uh at my episode of greg slade we just talk about work-life balance for an hour it's really good and he talks about that so happy yeah. wife happy life all that good stuff <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, Coach, one of the things that I wanted to also talk to you about is uh, I noticed that you took part in a conversation. Uh, I think the title of it was The Obstacles of Diversity. I want, I want you to speak about that. What was that conversation about? What was the importance of it? What, what were some of the things that were discussed um, in, in that conversation? Oh, man. Um, so I was actually invited by a, a colleague of mine. She teaches at a, a Crosstown Rival. And... Um, she had students and educators and, and other people in the community uh, on a Zoom call, and uh, it was headed by uh, Mr. Mr. Thomas, who who did the uh, who was kind of like the the keynote and guiding all the conversations. And uh, we really just talked about you know, you know, this past year I think we all because of COVID and the things that kept us at home, uh, we really had to see the world for what it is. And with Louisville being in our backyard, you know, Breonna Taylor is still something that's very much on our minds mm -hmm. um, here in Kentucky, especially, you know, uh, my wife who teaches in that school district, uh, myself who I've also taught in that school district in Louisville, um, you know, it happened, you know, right down the road from where she teaches at. Mm. And so, you know, the racism in our country, um, you know, people say that, you know, it's behind us, but, but really, you know, Jim Crow and and the civil rights movement, you know, those things are still, you know, they're 60 years old. They're not very old. And it's still uh, stained in our, in the fabric of our country right now. And so I think that conversation was to kind of just see where we were at as a, as a community um, here in Barstown, Kentucky. And I'll just say that, man, the, the students on there were resilient. And um, I think this generation that's coming up, um, we need to listen a lot more to, uh, you know, so we talked about, you know, racism and how they dealt with that, uh, how they dealt with it as, as, as being white, how they dealt with it as being biracial, how they dealt with it as being black. And uh, it was just a lot of, a lot of good conversation last night. Yeah, it's just like you said, <clears throat> 60 years ago and the things that, that took place in um, the civil rights era and, and everything going, going on from there, that is, that is recent history. That is very recent. Uh, we're barely, uh, a couple generations removed from that. And I think that those are tough conversations to have, but like you mentioned, I, I know for me as, as a coach and as an educator, our, our kids have a lot of insight on, on that yeah. sort of thing. They're, they're very, they're very well versed in it. They see a lot of it. Um, there's a lot more that they have access to see that maybe we yeah. didn't even have growing up. And, and I, I think that they're tough conversations, but if you don't have those conversations about it, then it's almost like you're suppressing it or trying to like mm -hmm. shove it under the carpet and that's not going to get us really anywhere either. So uh, I commend you for that. And I'm sure, I'm sure it was a great conversation and um, it's probably one that a lot of educators uh, all over the country and all of the world would probably benefit from, from having an honest discussion about for sure. Thank you. Yeah, I think, um, I think 
I think most coaches, and, and I say coaching because, you know, if we're honest, you know, basketball is a mostly an African-American dominated sport. And so with, with coaching, you know, I, I think I see a lot of coaches that understand uh, the conversation are a little bit more uh, easier to talk about it because they're simply doing life with people that don't look like them. And one thing that my wife taught me a long time ago was, you know, you're, you're comfortable with these conversations according to who your friends are and who you do life with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she introduced me to, you know, her friends are from, from all over the place, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, Haiti, uh, Dominican Republic, Colombia, uh, and she went to school in Tampa. And so that's just a melting pot in and of itself there in Florida. And we actually got to live in Tampa for a year. Um, mm -hmm. And just, you know, when you take a seat back uh, and then look at the dynamics of our community, you know, the, the, the crosstown rival has more of a diverse population than the school that I'm at. And so the conversations are, the two dichotomies are, are completely different. The conversations are completely different at each school. Yeah. And it's, it's simply because the kids that are at the school that I'm at uh, don't see a lot of other people of color. And the kids that, that have a, another conversation at the crosstown rival is because, well, they have a lot more kids that are black, a lot more kids that are from Asia, Asian descent. Uh, Hispanic and so on and so forth. Yeah, and I think it's it's a really good conversation if if you're willing to have it and ask your players like, hey, you know, what's your experience been? You know, just be honest about what your background is. Ask them about what theirs is because their lens and the way that they see things or the way they interpret the world around them uh, might just be completely different. And uh, I, I know for me, I, I've been fortunate to have those conversations, especially as somebody who. You know, I moved halfway across the country to, to be where I'm at. So I, I don't have the same experience that my kids do growing up because we didn't grow up in the same places, let alone the same time period. So, yeah, just just really good to have those conversations. And uh, like I said, you, you'll be amazed at what your uh, your students or your players and, and what they say to you. And it's a way to bond with them, too. So uh, that's great. Yeah. Um, all right, coach. So topic for this one is about switching up offensive philosophies. So let's start with the reflection that took place on your end. What sort of reflection did you go through that led to you kind of switching your offensive direction? So let's start at the beginning. Uh, I think I grew up, uh, I guess what people would say is an old school coach. Uh, we ran the flex a whole lot. And uh, every, every set, it fled in it bled into flex if the the set didn't work then you ran flex and you ran flex and uh i think flex is still a very uh useful offense in today's game uh what i was finding out was that um teams that would pressure us i mean they would eat our lunch i mean we would you know we would have to wait for guys to get in the right place and get it set up and and it was almost like they knew i mean everybody in the world knows flex as soon as you run it the whole gym is yelling flex <laughs> and so uh, when we were running it and running our other continuities, it just seemed like guys were, uh, I don't know, they just seemed like they were kind of robots. And uh, most of our points were coming in the, like in transition and or things would break down, guys would get a bucket. And I started taking notice in practice that guys were scoring the ball at a more natural flow when we were just doing, you know, our three-on-three -three competitive drills, just going after just playing ball, you know, i we, we run a drill called 333, and it's basically three teams um, playing three on three against each other, full court. And uh, there's no offense, there's no structure. It's just you and your teammates, and you're just trying to go get a bucket. And 
I had to take a step back and we played a, a, another uh, district opponent and um, I took notice and they were, they were, they looked like us and they were, they were smaller than us, but man, they could shoot the three ball. So they would just space the court out and, and let that thing fly. And uh, I went back and looked at the film and started look, thinking about some things. I'm like, we're going to have to change some things up. So um, two people uh, I, I'm really big on right now is uh, Shaka Smart at Texas, mm. uh, especially when he was at VCU. Um, you know, his, his, uh, his Rose offense, uh, dribble drive offense, complemented his defensive pressure and his havoc system. And then there's a guy that I'm sure you might know through Twitter, uh, Mark Cassio out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana at Catholic High School. Oh, the, na the name definitely rings a bell, yeah. He, I, uh, I actually reached out to him a couple of years ago, and I just happened to have his number still stored in my phone, and I reached out to him and started looking up some of the things that he's been doing. So we've began to, me and my assistant, we've began to look at our offense, and it just kind of slowly, I haven't say that we completely went away from flex because we still may use it, and we have since we try to transition into a more free-flowing offense. But uh, for the most part, we've tried to combine this dribble drive with this motion offense. And it's right now, it's a little bit more dribble drive than I'd like. But offensively, our guys love it. They love the freedom. Uh, and I think when you give kids the, the freedom to fail, uh, they play a little bit more loose. It's almost like they're playing pickup out there right now. <laughs> um, and I don't really have to call a whole lot of sets. Uh, and, and the offensive production is, has jumped up. Uh, maybe 10 or 15 more points than we usually score. So our efficiency is looking a whole lot better with that freedom. So with that, making that transition, obviously it seems to be one that your players have kind of like bought into, like you said, a little bit more like free flowing, a little bit more kind of just getting them out there and letting them play. What was that conversation like with your players? Did you tell them like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to switch things up and hey, this is what I'm thinking. How, how do you kind of talk to your players and, and let them know that we're, kind of making this transition into this new sort of philosophy? So we had a few, a few sets already in place uh, that we would touch on every once in a while. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, I just walked into practice one day and said, hey guys, let's, let's go back to the beginning. We're going to hit a hard reset. And uh, I, I even drew up a circle on the, on the whiteboard. I usually talk to the players before we go into practice. And uh, I grew up, I, grew, I drew on the whiteboard a circle and I just hit it. I said, here's the research button. And I hit it with my fist. <laughs> and, uh, and there were some other things that kind of went into that equation as well. Um, and we can talk about this a little later if we want, if you want to, uh, I had my, my one veteran player, uh, my senior point guard, he actually quit, quit on us this season. And, um, I had a sophomore step point guard step up and, and he really didn't know a whole lot of the offense. Um, for whatever reason, he's just, he was just a kid again that, that, you know, continuities and sets, you know, kids are learning in 15 second increments with Snapchat already. And, and so I just said, look, we're going to space the floor. And he looked over me and said, coach, what do you want me to do? I said, I want you to go get me a bucket. And so he just went and he scored. And, and then from there on, we went to practice that day and then the reset button. And he's like, all right, this is what we're going to be doing. And, um, it didn't, I don't think it happened all at once. I think it kind of just happened in sound bites because you have conversations with players. You know, you're trying to manage 15 guys' egos and, and their personalities. And so little by little, uh, they liked it and they bought in and then uh, 
we recently won a game. They were like, yeah, coach, this is what we need to do. <laughs> it always helps when you win the game. That, that, that'll yeah. get you some buy-in uh, right away when they start seeing success that way for sure. So, so for, for kind of making a transition from a flex where um, I think you kind of mentioned it almost like it's a little bit like robotic. It's, it's kind of like a system type type thing where it, in a way it can look really clean, um, but it, you know, pe- players are kind of going through a certain, certain motion and a certain rhythm to kind of transition away from that. Uh, as a coach, I think that that could be a little bit like you're holding your breath a little bit because you're giving a lot more freedom and you're giving a lot more opportunities for your players. And sometimes as a coach, you might not know what that looks like on the court so did thing did things get messy did things look messy in practice or in games what was the uh on the court transition how long did did it take for you to maybe not hold your breath as much or maybe you still are uh i, I mean we're currently still in that transition um there are some things that uh, i'm still trying to figure out and i'll kind of lean on uh, coach cassio for that uh but you know we're basketball coaches for a reason, so we have to figure it out. And, um, you know, this is my first year at the helm as a head coach uh, with my alma mater. And, you know, with my inexperience and then with the – there's a lot – you know, I don't have a single player returning that's a varsity experienced player. You know, so we're all just kind of trying to figure this out, with especially with the way the season has went and COVID and all of this. Uh, it's kind of been a trial season for us. And, um, you know, we don't have time to worry about – you know, what we're doing, we just, we, you know, we've been changing things on the fly with our game schedule. So, heck, you might as well change your game plan from day to day as well. Uh, but I think we're beginning to find our niche with this type of offense. And um, I think if any coach was to take a look at it, uh, that they would be like, okay, I, I, you can put your own bells and whistles on it if you want to. Uh, but for me, uh, this, this quote resonated with me, that there are coaches that coach in the past. There are coaches that are are, are coaching with the present time. And then there's coaches that are are coaching for the, where the game is trending. And I think that that's where the game is trending, more free flowing, freedom, uh, five out, space the floor, um, or, you know, four out, one in, however you want to do it. Um, but for the most part, um, players need to know how to dribble. They need to know how to pass. They need to know how to shoot. And that's just where I think the game is trending. Well, one of the things I, I know that makes that transition difficult is, kind of talked about it I've talked about of other coaches as well as you kind of initially kind of coach the game coach the game the way that you were coached or the way that you were taught (laughs) is kind of just the way that you go and you want to teach it to others plus it's also the way that you're probably really comfortable with like if you were taught like a flex like okay I know this like the back of my hand I can run this and I know exactly what to look for whereas sometimes um, for me, a lot of times I, I, I won't have all the answers, uh, on, on something. I'll, I'll try something and see what happens, whether it's, uh, you know, any, anything on a motion or anything on a, you know, a sideline on a um, player or just anything in general and be like, well, I, I know what I used to do, but I want to just see what happens and, and try this out. And, and I'm assuming you've had that experience too, where there is a lot of unknown, but that's where, like you said, all right, we'll keep doing this and eh, maybe not keep this or eh, maybe we'll try this again. I'm assuming that's kind of been your, your process through this so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of trial and error, but for the most part, you know, we tried something, you know, we kind of look at each other like, well, that worked. And the kids are like, yeah, coach, I, I kind of like it. And I think what the most, the thing they like about it the most is the freedom. Uh, you know, there's not a coach on the sideline barking a bunch of sets uh, you know, I'll call a bunch of, I'll call, you know, a couple of sets uh, versus the beginning of the season. I was calling anywhere from six to eight sets a game. And it kind of just, 
it overloads kids. Um, and, you know, when you can just have a system that's in place and they come down the floor and they just kind of go into whatever they want to go to because it's so free, uh, it makes coaching a whole lot easier. And I like to coach defense anyway. <laughs> yeah, so let, let's talk a little bit about what it's what it's looked like this year. What what it, what have what's the process um, been like during games? What are some things that you found that your players were able to kind of pick up on right away with your the transition you made on offense? And were there any things that maybe they were hesitant or maybe they just sort of like mentally kind of struggled or are currently struggling to kind of transition into? I think the, the the biggest part was them looking over at me and saying, coach, what should I run? And, you know, just uh, just making sure that they have the alignment right, their spacing is correct. I think the most – the difficult part about teaching uh, a, a positionless or conceptual style offense, however you want to call it, mm -hmm. uh, is allowing them to read defenses. And so uh, I've taught them or trying to teach them, hey, pass on a single gap, but you can drive – on a double or a triple gap. And for, for the most part, and this is why I say we're mostly dribble drive right now, uh, our player, they're driving everything. They're like, coaches wants us to get, get, a, to get, a, get a bucket. He just wants us to score. So having them to, to be able to move the ball uh, and find and, and make that extra pass for the, the more open shot, I should say, um, it's came in, in sound bites and in snippets, uh, but it's not completely there yet. And I think that's just going to be, a thing that develops over time, um, especially going into the spring and summer workouts that, that we work on those things and, and being able to create space and knowing when to drive versus when to pass. And those are those like teachable moments. You know, I, I've talked about this with other coaches and other guests on here as well. I think one of the um, advantages in kind of going into that more positionless basketball and making that, that transition, like you said, is the amount of you know, freedom that they have. But then one of the challenges with that is that the players on the court, they have to be the ones that are the decision makers. They're the ones who have to know the game to uh, an extent to know what the right play is. And I think for some players who are maybe used to a rigid system, there's those times when they're not used to like thinking for themselves and so sometimes the, that freedom can almost be overwhelming because they've never had that much choice before and I, I know that that's something that I, I've coached players that have been like that where they're in a rigid system and then you know open it up a little bit and they're like coach like what do I do though but what do I do <laughs> and and uh, you know it's almost like you said before it's like I don't know I just want yeah. the ball in the basket please but and then like you mentioned in your experience you, you kind of have it where a lot of players are um you know, they're just dribbling and trying to take it to the hole. But um, I think uh, I think Cassio said it best. He said I got, he told his players I was listening to one of the podcasts that he he was on um, and he told the guy that he that was interviewing him. He said, I told my players I want them to imagine that they're at the YMCA and they're playing pickup. R whether it be man to man or zone, I want you to imagine that the team just went into a zone. I want you to imagine the team's in a man to man. How are you going to score? What, what's it going to look like? What are the players going to look like on your team? Are they spaced out? And that just blew, it, it sounded so simple and it blew my mind. I was like, this is it. That's when the light bulb went off for me. I was like, that's it. And I think that, um, you know, your players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And 
I think a way that you show them that you care is that you put the ball in their court and say, you go make a play. I trust you and care for you enough for you to go make a play. Yeah. And as a coach, I think that's difficult because we want to leave our stamp on things. We want to, we want to coach and we want to be the one who puts that play in or is running this genius offensive system or defensive system sometimes. And yeah. the, sometimes we just got to let, let, let the players play and, and see what they're seeing out there on the court. And uh, I wanted to go back to something you mentioned earlier about this year in particular with, with the pandemic and with COVID everything, it sounds like you've really sort of let go in terms of letting yourself not get too worked up over mistakes and over, you know, maybe execution of certain things. Because it seems like in a way, this year in particular was almost like a perfect year to do it because there's just so much going on anyway that yeah. you're it's it's a lot easier to kind of let go of things if 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 I'm kind of getting the the, the gist of, of what you've been talking about yeah. earlier yeah and and I think it, maybe part of me is sounding uh maybe I'm, I'm I'm covering up the fact that I'm I, w- I was frustrated at the beginning of the year because weren't winning as many ball games as I'd like to uh and then with all the cancellations and things like, of that nature but you know, maybe being a young coach and being naive, it's allowed me to have that freedom where, you know, most coaches that are, you know, 15, 20, 25 plus years in the game, you know, they're not going to let go of, of the things that they do and the, the system that they put in place. Um, the great thing is that I have a, a mentor coach who kind of comes into practice once a week and we talk on the phone all the time. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's a veteran coach and now retired. He says, hey, I love what you're doing. Uh, after a loss, he goes, I love what you're doing. Uh, tomorrow, bring the energy and practice tomorrow. And then he'll always give me a nugget. I, I think there's still, there's, there's things that you can still do that is, you know, like a, I wouldn't say an old school type of way. You know, there's been many a times in this, this new system that we're running that I've called a timeout and drew up a, a mm-hmm. quick hitter that looks a whole lot like flex. And, and the guys in the timeout be like, well, coach, that's motion one. That's what we call our flex. And I was like, yeah, but it's a quick hitter. And if you don't have it, then go back to spacing the floor out and going back to our our uh, our five out, and with something like that too, once you have a play that you know whatever is a, a quick hitter or a set that you run, it's not like running a a, a flex type of offense where there's going to be like so much film on you necessarily. Like you just kind of throw in that quick hitter once in a while and there it is. Whereas if you kind of have like a flex, like there's gonna be a lot of film on, on what your players are doing and it gets kind of routine and it's really easy to scout. And so I'm curious, have you, have you had experiences where you've played teams like a couple times as you've been going through this transition on offense? Have you kind of seen, you know, how things maybe look like in the before or after or, or had anything that you've noticed in that way? Uh, I, I think, um, I hope I'm answering your question correctly. From a scouting standpoint, I think we've changed so much from the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. and so many coaches have probably asked of asked film from us or from other coaches, and and they got to us, especially here in the last couple of weeks. They're like, "What is this?" Like, <laughs> like yeah. I, and, and and even defensively, like we've we've switched defenses. We went from a man to a matchup zone back to a zone, and we're kind of still in between that zone matchup zone. And so I think, you know, even though, you know, we're not producing as many wins as we'd like to have, I can still hear some coaches like, wait, what is this? You know, I can kind of <laughs> hear them on the other side, like, like they're in a, they're in a zone. No, they're in a man. And, and it kind of, it, it kind of, it, it, uh, 
it kind of juices me up. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I got them confused now. <laughs> uh, but uh, offensively, I think our style has completely changed, and I think it's something that the guys uh, really love to do. And um, I think it's just going to take time for it to, to really morph into what it can possibly be at its full potential. And do you think that your uh, new kind of offensive philosophy that you're trying to put in, does it complement your your defense the way you want it to? I know you mentioned about uh, Shaka Smart uh, earlier. Is there, is there a correlation there? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's why it complements so well. Um, we're not a great defensive team, but there's moments in the game that we'll get after you full court, uh, whether it be a diamond press or a man-to-man. Um, and then we sometimes we'll back off. Uh, you know, I got a relatively inexperienced and a smaller team. So any type of advantage that, that we can get, I'm, I'm trying to, we're trying to get that. Um, but uh, for the most part, um, we're still trying to figure out our identity uh, as a team. And I think that also goes with um, myself and my staff trying to figure out our identity as coaches. And I think some of the best coaches are at the high school level because you don't get to go recruit, you know, such and such and you kind of have to change your mm -hmm. your way the way that you play year in and year out based on the kids that you get and that was going to be a follow-up question I was going to ask so I'll touch on it now your staff they they were on board that they, they they liked what you saw everybody was united on that were there conversations about that was there any hesitation from your staff or was, or was everybody kind of gung-ho like let's switch it up and see what happens I think it took um it took my one of my assistants he He's more of a, he was more of like me coming in. He, mm -hmm. he wants to coach, he wants to coach the way that he was coached. And so he was all on board when we first got, got in together. Uh, he was actually left over from the previous coach. And uh, he was like, yeah, let's run flex. Let's run the matchup zone. We're going to do this, this, and that. And then, you know, in the last several weeks, you know, I've changed things and me and him have been the first ones to talk about it. He's like, he's kind of been weary about it. He's like, I don't know, coach. Uh, I think we need to stick with flex. I'm just like, hey, I don't think it's working. Let me show you why. And just really taking a look at our film versus teams and, and actually also looking at our practice film. Uh, we, pra we film every practice and, and looking at some of the things that the kids are doing in practice and saying, hey, well, he's more natural at just attacking the rim. Maybe we need to open up the floor more so he can attack the rim more. Um, and so little by little, especially <laughs> after these last several games, he's noticed a difference in just the, the kid's demeanor and, and the way that they're playing. He's like, yeah, I think, I think we were onto something. Yeah. And it's always good to have people on your staff who are like, all right, like here's, here's, here's what I think. But if you as like a head coach, this is what you want to do, then let's go for it. Let's be united on it. And, you know, let, let's see what ends up happening. And it's great when uh, th things you know, they, they look the way as a head coach that you want them to look like. But I think it's always good, too, to have people on your staff who, who do question you, who do, you know, kind of wonder why or do something or, you know, pull back a little bit or fight back just a little bit just to give you that yeah. other perspective for sure. Because uh, I think it's also really easy to get to get like locked into some group think and be like, all right, we're going to do this. And no, nobody's questioning me on my staff. So obviously I know what I'm doing really well and there, there's no questions at all. So I think that that's really helpful to kind of have that discussion that you did with your staff. Yeah. You don't want to staff that, you know, just feel with yes, man. I think <laughs> your best staff are, are people that um, will question you because, you know, I, I told the guys, I was like, you know, my job is to, to train you up so that you'll be a head coach one day. And, mm. uh, and I told him, I said, if you guys disagree with anything, uh, feel, you have, you have, feel free. Uh, you know, I'm not one of those coaches that this is the way it's going to be done, and, and this is how it needs to be done. 
my my yes is yes and, and <laughs> Uh, I don't think that we would be as good as we are if I were like that. And so I think uh, you have to swallow your pride as a head coach. And because at the end of the day, you have assistance for a reason and uh, you don't know it all. And, and so that's why you have a staff that you can collab with and uh, get the best out of your players. Yeah, uh, always great to have a, a staff kind of as a mix, a mix of everything uh, for sure. And I also really like that you have a a mentor that comes in too. It's kind of the best of both worlds. You have coaches that you're kind of training up and then you have coaches that you can consult and, and, and talk to and, and see what you're doing. That's awesome. Um, so let's talk about practice then. So for you, since you kind of changed things up on the offensive end, what effect did that have on, on the way that you structured your practices or even like what you did in practice? So we, we cut out a lot of the the fluff, I thought that in practice that just kind of wasn't necessary. And um, we shoot now probably 30 to 40 minutes in practice. Uh, shooting makes up for a whole lot of your deficiencies. Um, and so, you know, we spend a lot more time on, on shooting and uh, we weren't shooting the ball very well uh, before we started implementing this style of offense and uh, our shooting percentages went up tremendously and uh, maybe 10 to 15% from the three point line. And I think it's because guys are now coming in the gym with more confidence. Uh, they're coming in the game with more confidence. There's more, again, there's more freedom. Uh, so that's been one big change to our practices. And then I'd also say that we've added more um, small-sided games. And, I love those. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, man, uh, we have this rebounding drill that we do at the beginning of practice now. And it's three lines and three guys just underneath the basket battling for the offensive rebound to put it back in the first line that finishes uh, each guy through and rebound, it gets really competitive and guys are exhausted and, and clapping and cheering. Um, and so we, we always want to, and I, and, I, and I took this from Mark again, uh, he, he's somebody that I'm uh, seeking out a whole lot here lately, uh, Cassio down at um, Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. um, he, he, said, he, he said something that it, it resonated with me, uh, always putting the, the offense at an advantage. I think we always tend to put the defense at a, at a, an advantage over the offense to make our offense better. And he said, no, put the, put the offense at an advantage. And so we, we're doing more uh, four on three with four guys on offense, three guys on defense, and, and so on and so forth with that. And it's making the, our defense pick up because guys have to guard multiple positions and spots, and they really have to move. They can't sit still. Um, and so that's been another thing that we've added to the, the element of practice. Well, in that small-sided games in general – I think I found that there's a lot more decision-making that the players have to make. There's a lot more thinking that they have to do and, and a lot more decisions essentially that they got to make. And I think that that's something that translates into what you want to see in a five-on-five full-court scenario is, is getting as much reps as you can in practice of your players just making decisions and, and making a good read. Yeah, yeah, and it's... uh. I think uh, one more thing that I'll add to that conversation practice is footwork. I think footwork has been one of the <laughs> biggest things that we've tried to hit on uh, with this style of play uh, because guys were, you know, we're trying to play off the catch and make decisions quickly. Um, guys are not used to trying to make decisions quickly. So they're, you know, they were uh, kind of having that, that happy feet, I call them, and they'll, <laughs> they'll walk, catch the ball. So um, footwork and, 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 um, really ma making an emphasis on that when we break, when we do breakdown drills, um, but for the most part, yeah, 
this is all this is really brand new to all of us and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm liking it because now i'm watching more nba in the past several weeks than i ever have in the past several <laughs> years so um but it's been good for us so you talked about about the fluff that had to be cut out and i think that as a coach, I like to change things up and from time to time and put new stuff in. But then I also find myself sometimes holding on because I don't want to get rid of anything because I think everything has value. Like, oh, I don't want to get rid of this, that, or the other. So what, what was that like? How, what was the fluff? What was the diagnostic of being like, all right, this is fluff and, and you didn't find any value really in it anymore? So um, I, think, I think coaches would talk more. I think when I say fluff, I think filler drills. Uh, so we would start, we start practice out the same way. I always make the guys jump rope for five minutes. Um, I've got a bunch of Muhammad Ali's in the gym at the first five minutes of practice, uh, with their jump rope, um, uh, and stretching. And that's typically where we go over the, the, the practice plan for the day. Uh, but then we would go into more like, you know, preliminary stuff with ball handling stuff. And, and I wouldn't say we cut it out, but I would say we added more dynamics and dimensions to it. So like, let's say for instance, uh, we do a, a passing drill called star where you just got five lines and guys are passing, um, passing to the opposite line and, and it forms a star. Well, one thing that we've done is a, I've separated everybody into groups of two groups instead of just one big group that way guys are getting more reps. And now we'll put uh, a person in the middle and, and have them be like a defense. So if they get a deflection, the person that passed it has to be in the middle now. Mm. And then, um, and then with uh, we've had a lot of trouble with um, handling the ball with pressure, and so I told the guys you can you can have all the sauce in the world with the ball, but it amounts to a hill of beans if if you can't do that with somebody in your grill. And so anytime we're doing ball handling drills, I always try to make an emphasize emphasis on uh, having defensive pressure. So not playing too much with the ball in front of them, you know, getting their defender on their hip and being able to see the floor. Um, and then we'll simulate that into a, a one-on-one, a zigzag drill into a one-on-one where they're, you know, trying to beat their man off the dribble one-on-one. Um, so just things like that. I wouldn't necessarily say maybe I, I spoke too soon saying cutting out the fluff, but adding more dimensions to the to the to the drill so that it so that it, it's a little bit more difficult. It, it, it's a little bit more stressful on them, and it simulates a game type situation. Yeah, and I bet it doesn't always look pretty and it gets a little chaotic from time to time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I joked about this on, on previous interviews about practices that sometimes I know that we like to uh, make our practices look really pretty and look really nice and we think that we're doing a great job, but I think that the messiness is great. I think you need to have things get a little little chaotic and a little hectic because that's kind of how the game goes. So in a way, it almost yeah. makes sense that your practices would be that way as well. And it sounds like, I'll let you speak on it, but it sounds like your players seem to be getting a, a lot more out of these practices. It seems like they, they must be having a good time based on just the things you're talking about that you're doing in practice. Listen, I've went away from the two and a half practices where it's clean drills and you know, that stuff used to get me hyped up where you're running a clean practice two and a half hours and we're all sweating. But I felt like they weren't getting anything out of it. So, you know, as the seasons went on, obviously we've cut down on practice and we might practice for an hour 15, an hour. Heck, I've gotten more out of them. Hour 15. Mm. I've, got, nice. I've, got, I've gotten more out of them in 45 minutes than I have in two hours. Uh, and so the, you're, you're jumping from drill to drill to drill but that's where your practice planning is really coming in handy. And you have to make sure that you're getting exactly what you want out of the drill. 
in maybe three to five minutes and then you're jumping to the next one. And I think that also that transition translates to the game because now we're trying, we're playing at a much faster pace and having that pace set in practice kind of translates to the game. Yeah. And I, I like that. It's almost like that, uh, like a sense of urgency and like things are just going, 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 and then kind of simulates, you know, we talk about game speed all the time. So if you can kind of almost make your practice speed kind of similar to that game speed, then game speed doesn't seem as intimidating anymore. If that makes any sense, it doesn't yeah. seem as yeah. much. Right? Well, I, I, I tweeted out the other day, if, if you, if you want to play with the big dogs, you have to be able to uh, handle pressure and give pressure. And so, you know, the top teams in, top teams in our state, they, they want to play fast and they want to play aggressive and they want to be, they want to be in your grill. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's very common. I think all great teams, especially at the high school level, they're, they're going to test your, your press. They'll test your press break. They're going to see uh, what happens when, when the heat gets turned on you, so to speak. Yeah. So it, it kind of just makes sense to kind of have that sense of urgency as best you can in practices. And, hey, if you can get a great practice in an hour 15 or get a great 45 minutes out of them, uh, I think everybody leaves happier and you still get that workout in and everything like that. So that's kind of a transition in and of itself is paring down those practices because like, like you said, I think two and a half hours or two hours, like whew, think you, you will lose them. <laughs> it is very, yeah. it, it's hard. And, and if you can get it in and out in an hour and, and even I could even tell my players like, Hey, if we can get it all done and we're, we're working hard an hour, that's all we're going to need. And, and that, can also light a fire under them a little bit too, which is also nice to have for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. As you kind of think about, I know as we're speaking right now, you're, you're in the weeds still of the season. And so this transition is still going on and you're still doing kind of your diagnosis of things, but as you're trying to fully make or, or more so make that transition in your offense, what are some things that once you have a, opportunity to breathe in the off season and the summer comes around that you think you, you might be really focusing on or, or looking to uh, work on? Oh, man. Um, I'll probably take a look at our shot chart and where mm -hmm. I can already tell you where it's trending. I think we definitely need to uh, be working on work on finishing at the rim. Um, man, I, I'm tossing and turning right now uh, <laughs> because of missed layups at night. I, I kid you not, man. Like I'm, I am it is amazing how, you know, my assistant coach said at the beginning of the year, he goes, coach, you're going to think I'm crazy. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, good teams make layups. And so that's, we're going to actually print that on a shirt and hang <laughs> it out at, at the banquet at the end of this year. Um, but uh, we definitely are going to take a deep dive into to what our shot chart looks like. But I can, I can tell you right, right now that skill work is going to be a premium and finishing at the rim. Uh, and so, you know, everything that encompasses skill work, um, finishing at the rim and then, uh, shooting lots and lots of shooting. Did you, do you think that those opportunities, uh, weren't there as frequently and what you were doing, uh, before on offense with, with your flex and with your continuity, or do you think it's just something with your specific like group of players you have right now is something that they're struggling with? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh. I think it's certainly the group of players because, again, you know, I'm starting three guys that started freshman last year, um, and so the game is faster. <laughs> sure. The game is the game is faster. The game is more physical. Um, they haven't their bodies haven't matured. Uh, I don't think any of these guys have ever touched a weight at all. You know, I'm getting guys mm -hmm. that are coming from soccer and cross country, so they spend most of their time burning it all up running. <laughs> um, 
And so, you know, and that, and again, that's another element that's going to happen that's... in the off season is weightlifting and, and, and strength training. It's how you finish at the uh, rim, finish for exactly. contact, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, you think, you think going into the season, I thought that we did uh, a solid job of working on those things, but now that the style of play uh, for us is sped up and as the season wears on, their bodies wear on. So uh, that concentration, that focus at the rim has to be that much more. Yeah, and and with even with things like finishing at the rim or, or just with shooting, because we all know that your legs will get go out from you and start arming up shots as you start yeah. to get tired. And and so that sounds like something that, that might be unique in, in your situation and, and for any coaches who might be um, switching maybe from a more, uh, I don't want to say rigid, but I'll say rigid, to a little bit more of a faster-paced kind of free-flowing style is that if your players aren't necessarily used to that, then they're going to get, they're going to get pretty tired. <laughs> they're going to get pretty worn out. They're going to get pretty beaten up. And that's going to potentially be something that you almost have to let them know in the, in the off season of the summer, like, Hey, you know, we got a whole season of this coming up. Like you got to bulk up, hit the weights, uh, yeah. you know, you no, know, make sure you're in the best shape possible because uh, it's, you're, you're going to be burning up. <laughs> you're going to be burning yeah. up a lot of energy for sure. And, uh, but it sounds like, and again, I've mentioned this again, but it sounds like your, your, your players are, uh, they're excited about it, and they, they seem to be kind of kind of rising up the ch rising up to the challenge to to want to do it, and hopefully that will help with with some buy in. And it sounds like I'll let you speak to it, but it also sounds like that kind of style maybe brings a little bit more excitement or brings a little bit more hype up to your program as well. Yeah, I, I've definitely got a lot of uh, comments um, in the past several several games, you know, just from outsiders and people in the community, like, hey your guys are playing a whole lot better uh, or they're, they're playing a little bit more faster than I saw them play earlier this season. I'm like, yeah, we're actually trying to, uh, <laughs> trying to play that way. And uh, you know, when, when people from the outside, especially people who really don't, they just come to watch you on Tuesday and Friday nights and they're saying those things and you know, you're doing something right. Uh, or you're getting closer to what you want to achieve out of your team. Yeah. The competition you're playing, the competition you're up against, uh, what, what are you seeing from those other teams? Uh, or do you find yourself being one of the more faster-paced teams? Are you transitioning to something that a lot of the other teams in, in your area are doing? What have you kind of noticed personally with that? Yeah, so like I told you earlier, um, and I actually was texting him before we did the, we're doing this episode, um, uh, there's a, a friend of mine who coaches at a district, a, cro a crosstown rival actually, and and he 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 he's been playing the five out style, the more pro style offense. And um, I was actually just picking his brain a little bit on what he does. And and so I went back and watched the film, and that's where it kind of began to spark my interest with going to this type of style of offense. Um, but for the most part, uh, our our district is is dominated by um, the the independent school, and and they they have size, they have athletes, they have quickness, they have everything that you would want in a basketball team. Um, and so I think the way that you, you match that is that you also have to have that. So we kind of are playing that game, fight fire with fire. And, yeah. um, it's, uh, it's going to take, I think it's going to take some time and we have to be patient, uh, as a staff, because this is not going to be something that changes overnight, even though we've already seen immediate changes, it's going to be a style that, you know, in the next couple of years, um, reaches its full potential, as I've said earlier. And. 
<laughs> as, as a coach, that transition period, like you said, is going to possibly lead to some sleepless nights a little bit and, and lead because, because you know where you're, you know where you want it to go and you, you have that confidence, you have that faith about where it's going to go. But sometimes it is a little difficult when you see it right in front of you and you're like, oh, we're not there quick enough or, oh, we got, we got, we got to speed this process along. But, <laughs> and, and obviously you can speak to this. It is a process and it's because it's something that you believe in you have to almost have that big picture look of, uh, okay, like the, the, we, we were going away from this, but it's not going to happen, you know, this week or this month or this COVID crazy season. You, you got to have that like far vision and have to sort of not really pull your hair out all the time in the immediate future, though. <laughs> I, I mean, like, like you said, you still kind of have those moments. So, so for you though, you, it sounds like you, you kind of have the vision and you know where it is you're, you're getting to. You have kind of a vision in mind of what you would want it to look like in an I, maybe in an ideal world. And so does that kind of help you with the transition because you kind of know where it is you're trying to get to? You kind of have that plan uh, for the future? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, for the most part, you know, being brand new and in, in the inexperience that, that the team has, um, it, it, with any type of system, I think that they that you would have to take it has to take time, um, just being brand new to the program. Um, but yeah, with the vision in sight, um, and I hope that my staff and and even myself, uh, because I want to I want to microwave this process, uh, <laughs> just have the patience to to really stick stay true to to what we want to do and uh, grind it out. You know, I, I had. I don't know if it was a teacher or somebody many years ago, they, they kind of used that terminology about wanting to microwave the process. And I said, but it doesn't taste as good. It doesn't taste as good sometimes <laughs> as, as, as waiting and putting it in the oven or something like that. And I always remembered that, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, we, we want to, we want to get to, uh, we want to get to our two year goals, you know, next month and things like that. I, I totally get it. Um, so coach, what, what would you tell, a coach who might be on the fence about whether to make that transition on offense. What, what, what do you think would be something that, that they would need to hear to kind of, I don't know, push them, push them over the edge and, and just, and just get them to do it. What advice would you give to a coach who might be kind of leaning one way or the other? Oh, uh, you have nothing to lose. Uh, that's what you coach for. I think, um, again, the, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old, so I'm not too far from this generation that's coming up and, and they're totally different from when I was in high school uh, or even when I was in college I and mean, going back home and watching the kids play basketball. Um, you know, kids, kids nowadays, they learn in, in sound bites. They learn in 15 second increments with social mm. media, with, with Snapchat, with uh, TikTok. You know, they're learning in, you know, these, these quick moments. And the less that they have to think, I think the better that they are um, because you can't always get that, that, that high IQ player on the court especially all five of them uh, so you kind of have to you kind of have to swallow your pride as a coach and and just see see how it, see how it works out and you can always adjust and put your own like I said before put your bells and whistles to it but at the end of the day um, I think it's ultimately you know you have nothing to lose uh, and everything to gain from it yeah I, I agree and I think if you're kind of on the fence you're almost like already sort of committed to it. You're already transitioning away in your mind mentally. You're already kind of going yeah. that way. So yeah. see what happens. Cause you don't want to have the regret of like, 
in, in a way feeling like you're wasting a season or like wasting like one of your players years because you just didn't like go for it and see what happens. So I, I uh, would say, I would say, <laughs> unlike me, you know, I did this in the middle of the season. So if you're thinking about transitioning, <laughs> maybe, maybe more like, like if I could do it all over again, obviously knowing what I know now, I definitely would have implemented this preseason. Uh, but I would definitely take a, take a look at your, your team at postseason who do you have coming back your personnel you know spend your spring workout summer summer leagues uh putting it in and seeing how it how it how it works for you and if it doesn't you can always go back to what you know for sure uh now i know i'm gonna have listeners who are gonna get angry at me if i don't ask this of you so i'm gonna ask before we hit our concluding segment they're gonna ask about uh the situation and i'm curious too about the situation you brought up earlier that you said you had a player who um, they, they quit or they didn't want to be a part of the program anymore and you had to kind of bring somebody up new. Uh, for as much as you want to divulge into that situation, uh, what, what was that like and, and how, what was that process of, I guess, that transition like for you? Oh, man, it was, uh, it was quite – I wouldn't say it was difficult. I mm -hmm. think because I've known this kid uh, my whole life um, and knew, knew he was a great player. He was the only kid returning on this varsity team uh, from last year. You know, he had seven seniors graduate, and so he's on a he was really on an island by himself. And 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 uh, and I'll back up, and you know, I cut two to two to three seniors uh, before the season because I inherited a program that didn't cut. And so when you have forty or fifty kids in the gym, there are kids that just don't get that those reps and they don't develop. And so, um, you know, there were some hard cuts, especially with guys that thought that they were going to play their senior year. Mm. And I kept and I kept three seniors and uh, two of them quit. He wasn't the only one. Um, mm. He was just the only one that I thought that uh, uh, he was the only one that had experience and I thought would really pick up the slack with leadership. And um, man, he he was just a player. He was I mean, you could tell the nights that he you know, he had 16 or 17 points like that was the player you always had asked for. But his body language, um, I mean, I think the guys in the, in the locker room are kind of looking to him for leadership. And he was a quiet kid, um, but his body language spoke a thousand words. And there would just be times that he's kind of just going through the motion in practice. And, um, you know, my, my mentor coach, you know, I would say, hey, you know, can you say something to him? And he'd be like, you know, I'd say something to him. And, um, and I would sit him down and there would be times that I would look at film and he was walking back on defense. And it was just, it was really bringing the team dynamic down. Um, mm. And it wasn't all his fault. I think the COVID year and um, he was a, he's a senior that is, you know, he, he does a, a program that he works um, uh, at a factory from seven to one uh, every other day. And uh, I think, uh, I think he was just kind of wasn't as connected with the guys as as uh, I'd hoped for him to be. But you also would have hoped as a senior that, you know, with this being your last um, this your last season that you would really pick up the slack. And he just really couldn't buy into it. And it just seemed like it wasn't for him. And then uh, on top of all of that, uh, his confidence, I think, was shook. And, uh, you know, he finished his last three games, three for 24 from the floor. And, uh, you know, as quiet and as as much as I'd, I would want him to be a part of the team this season, um, he just he couldn't do it. And mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, he decided to quit on his own terms. And, uh, you know, we tried, I, you know, I could only court him for so long until, you know, it was like, hey, if you feel like this is the best decision for you, 
then you need to make that decision on your own. Um, you know, I can't love the game for you. It has to be something that you, you want to love. And yeah, and, and as difficult as a decision and, and everything that that is, now you're sort of have everything in place with, with the people who are bought in and there is a little bit of growing pains in that. But as we've just talked about for the past hour, you're going for this whole transition of, of, of other things anyway, as it is. So bringing on a, a, a different player who's bought in, uh, why not, right? Why not add that to the mix and, and, and make that transition and have that player come in and kind of step up as well, right? Yeah, I mean, everything that we've transitioned, it was around that time that he had quit the team and left that, you know, you had a new player coming up who was young and didn't know the offense as well. And um, <laughs> the, the, the funny thing about it was the, the interesting part, the, the day that the, that senior quit, the kid who, who took his spot, he had 25 points that next game. <laughs> and so it was like, crazy, yeah. it was like, wow, like, and, and everything – and not to take away from the uh, the senior that quit, because if we had him in this system right now, oh, sure. he, would, he would flourish completely. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, think all things happen for a reason, and the team dynamic is completely different. The guys on the, the bus rides to and from games are different. Um, I think nobody's looking to him anymore or side-eyeing him, waiting on him to, to step up and be the leader. I think everybody's like, now they're like, hey, this is our team because we're so young. Sure. We're going to get better. And, Coach, we're 10 toes in. Yeah, and so much energy that that brings in when you got everybody invested and you know that that everyone's ready to run for a hole for you and every uh, wall for you or a hole, I guess. Run for either one for you. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. I like yeah. that the ten toes in. That's nice. All right, coach. To wrap up, uh, there's a couple questions that I ask every guest, so we'll start with this first one here. What is a coaching moment from your coaching career that you think others listening would be able to learn from? Uh, probably the conversation we had earlier about mm -hmm. me stepping away from the game. Um, you know, you, you think you know it all until you're in the head coaching seat. And uh, there's nothing wrong with taking a step back and, and reevaluating your life and where you're at. Um, and, and really just leaning on those who uh, are veterans in the game. Um, I've, I've, I've learned most of my coaching from uh, veteran, veteran coaches and, and women coaches, especially because I was on the girls' side for a while. Um, but just taking it all in. But at the end of the day, uh, you are your own coach and you have to do what works best for your, your team and your personnel. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And, and sometimes you got to take a step back to move a few steps forward, right? Make some right. huge leaps forward. So, yeah. no, that's, re that's really well put. Nice. Uh, to wrap up then, Coach, I give every guest what I call a 60-second soapbox. Uh, it's your platform to get out your, your final message, your closing thought, your final idea that you want to leave the listeners with. If you go over 60 seconds, that's perfectly okay too. But I'm going to go ahead and uh, give you the floor, Coach, so you, you can take it from here. There needs to be a shot clock <laughs> in high school basketball. I have seen so many video clips, and even here in my own state, we need a shot clock at the boys' and the girls' level. The game is going, it's trending too fast now. And I'm seeing, I'm sick and tired of seeing teams play this delay game in the first quarter where the score is four to six. I just saw a team, the final score, I think was four to six. And, and this stall ball, it is, it is killing the game, you know, with the, with the more five out, four out, one in type of style. That's where the college and the pro league, that's where it's going. So we need to go ahead and implement a shot clock now to speed the game up. 
Coach, I'm gonna I'm gonna fly you into uh, Phoenix, I think, and uh, have have those conversations too. If I need an <laughs> if I need an expert, I'm I'll just gonna give you the mic and and let let you let it rip because uh, it it's it it uh, I've seen some basketball games that don't look like basketball when they're oh my gosh man. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've there's seen. more there's much more I could say too. Don't get me started on playing zone at the youth league level. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm I'm very happy that we've had guests <laughs> on this show that have actually talked about that and gone off on it. And oh man. Very, very wonderful conversations. I mean, not wonderful that uh, that takes place, but there are many coaches. I'm very happy there's many coaches who are very passionate about uh, teaching defense the right way, especially at a young age. So you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone in that thought this year. Uh, Coach Mason, I want to thank you for spending some time really kind of opening up and, and talking about this uh, transition that, that you made on the offensive side, uh, especially in this crazy uh, COVID pandemic basketball season that we've had. So yeah. I, I want to wish you the best of luck going forward. I, I, I'm looking forward to staying in touch and seeing how that transition works its way out in the future. And I'm excited for it. So coach, thanks for spending some time. Good luck going forward. Definitely. Thanks for having me tonight. Absolutely. And thank you to everybody who listened. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.